Welcome to me, welcome to you. I'm Liz Ricketts, I'm uh, one of the ministers here, and this is the point where you have to do some work, all right? You thought you were just going to sit and listen, didn't you? So, we have been journeying, as Tom has said, through the first book of the Bible with Abraham and Isaac, and today we reach the third generation with Jacob. So my question is, do you come from a faith family? Do you come from a family where you had parents who were Christians, grandparents who were Christians? Where is the faith in your family? And don't worry if your answer is no, because that is equally good. Would you like to talk to somebody and say, do you come from a faith family? Hmm? You know, we haven't had the readings yet. Yeah, it's all right. They're in the middle. (laughs) Don't worry. Because I know you can talk about yourself quite a long time. It's quite interesting, isn't it, when you look back to see where the faith was in your family. Um, Was there somebody who prayed for you? Was there a grandparent who prayed for you? Was there a parent who prayed for you? Was there an aunt or uncle who prayed for you? And do you think having a heritage of faith in your family is an advantage or a disadvantage? Because it could be both, couldn't it? Anyone who's a vicar's child may think it's a disadvantage having faith in the family. There is a pressure in being... Um, part of a family that is known for its faith. And we're going to explore that a little bit, I think, in the light of, of Jacob. So, we ha- first of all, we had Abraham. Don't worry if you can't see the details of this. Abraham is in red. Abraham, first generation of this family. God had promised him so much God had said, you will be the father of many nations. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. 
All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Really big promises for Abraham. And Abraham had an extraordinary relationship with God. We haven't covered all the times that, that, that God and Abraham got together uh, in this series. If you remember, God made a covenant, an agreement with him. God spoke to him frequently and even allowed Abraham to stand up to him and to argue with him. God even, in some mysterious way, sat down with Abraham and ate with him. Abraham was known as the friend of God. And then the little purple one there is Isaac. Now, we haven't done justice to Isaac in this series, I think we'd say, um, because we only really had him as a boy. And I think, actually, the Bible doesn't tell you as much about Isaac as it could. But we do know that Isaac had a relationship with God. And God did tell Isaac that uh, that he would be with him as he'd been with his father, Abraham. And now this week we come to that third generation in blue, Esau and his twin brother, Jacob. And we're going to look specifically at Jacob. So would that faith in God, that close walk with God, continue into this third generation? And as we will see, Jacob is a very different character from his father and his grandfather. If I was thinking of a a description of Jacob's faith, I would call it a wobbly faith. But as I think that we also often have a wobbly faith, we have a lot to learn from Jacob. So before we go further, let's just pray together that God will teach us. When I was preparing this sermon, I did feel that God was saying that there were three specific things that some of us need to learn from Jacob today. And that in this church, there are people who need to hear and respond to these challenges. So I wonder, could that be you today? Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to you, the God of Jacob. Amen. Okay, you might like to get a Bible at this point if you haven't already done so, because we are going to be looking at two episodes in Jacob's life, and Chris is going to read one in a little while, but... I just want to set the scene a little bit. Jacob, um, he's born in Genesis 25 and he dies in Genesis 49. So there's a lot about Jacob in the Bible. And this is partly because he was considered the founder of Israel. Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. Other nations would revere him. And Jacob is the father of Israel. And we'll see that his name was changed to Israel later in life. And um, as you can see on that graphic, actually, the 12 tribes of Israel claim descent from the 12 sons and grandsons of Jacob. So he's an important man, Jacob. What do you think he was like? 
Is he going to be one of these goody two-shoes that you always get in the Bible? Okay. Is he going to be somebody who you really um, would like to uh, stand up to, who would stand up there and be up the front? Well, when we first hear about Jacob, we are told the story of his birth. And Jacob is the second twin, and it says he is born grabbing the heel of his brother Esau as he comes out of the womb. And we are told this story because it will indicate the sort of man that Jacob will become. He is the grabber. He is the trickster. He is the deceiver. He is the liar. So there are some things in Jacob's character that we might find admirable today, but there are many that we wouldn't. Jacob is always trying to make his own way. He is the money man. He is after wealth. He is an entrepreneur, but he's out for himself. He manipulates and he tricks and he deceives and he lies to get what he wants. So this is a bit of a change in a family known for their faith in God. Where is faith in that? Jacob would rather make it happen than wait for God to do things. And he would rather go his own way than look for God's way. And there's two quick examples that I want to give you here, and you'll need to go back into the Bible to read these at a later date. So the first one is he steals his brother's birthright. Okay, he's an opportunist. When his brother Esau is hungry, he offers a deal. I'll give you some food if you give me your birthright. And because Esau is hungry, he goes along with this. And the second one shows that he is calculating. He's not just an opportunist, he's a calculator. Because he and his mother put together a scam, really, to um, deceive his blind father, Isaac, into giving him his blessing. So he's an opportunist, he's a calculator, he doesn't, it doesn't matter to him who he hurts to get his way. So we're about to come to our first reading. And the context of this is that Jacob is now running away from the father he has deceived and the family he has broken apart and the brother he has cheated and that brother is threatening to kill him. So he's on the run, he's scared, he's pretty well alone, he's in the desert, and it is there that God meets him for the first time. And this is Genesis 28, and Chris is going to come and read it to us. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. 
There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Thank you, Chris. Bethel, the house of God, the place of God. This is a place of promise for Jacob, and it's a place where he meets and recognises God for himself. Surely the Lord is in this place, he said. I had a bit of a feeling of that when we were worshipping earlier on. Surely the Lord is in this place. And that dream, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? And um, I looked through lots of pictures, and this one, which is a bit blurry because I think the artist didn't quite know how to imagine it, I thought was um, the most convincing, because it's of, um, often this is talked about as a ladder between earth and heaven, or a stairway to heaven. Anyone got a tune going through their head? Or um, the steps going up the side of a ziggurat, a, a pyramid, as they had in Ur. All of those are possible. The details are unclear. But it's what it symbolizes that's important. The gateway of heaven, the gate of heaven, heaven opened. And it was interesting that Tom read that bit from Revelation, which is another instance of us getting, being given a glimpse of heaven opened. Um, it's as if God pulls back a curtain for a short moment to show Jacob what is going on around him and around us all the time. I think we tend to think of heaven up here and us down here, don't we? But actually, the picture here is that the business of heaven is going on around us all the time. 
the ceaseless activity of angels coming and going, the connecting between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. So I want you to look around here in this space today and perhaps think out to Camberley. And I wonder what God is doing today. What is he doing? What are his heavenly messengers doing? That's what angels are. What's he busy with? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Do we have eyes to see that? Because I think part of the journey of faith is learning to have eyes to see that. Uh, We sang in the song just now, Open my eyes to the things unseen. And that is part of what we want to happen to us. That like Jacob, we might begin to see the business of God going on around us. So this, you would think, is a life-changing moment for Jacob. And it is a moment of extraordinary grace from God because Jacob has ignored God and deceived and cheated all those around him. But God doesn't wait for him to change. He meets with him at this low point in his life when he is guilty, when he is sinful, when he's fearful. And he chooses this moment to assure Jacob that the promises he has given to his grandfather and his father are for him as well. So I think this is our first message for us today. And I know that this is particularly for some of you. And so is this for you? Inherited faith is not enough. We each one of us need to meet with God for ourselves. Jacob could not rely all his life on the faith of his father and his grandfather. God needed to come and meet with him. God introduced himself to Jacob as the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But he wanted to become the God of Jacob as well. And that is the consistent view of the Bible. It is certainly the view of the New Testament. Each of us needs to have a one-to-one relationship with God, not mediated through anybody else. One-to-one relationship with God. You could be the child of a vicar, a bishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury, or even the child of a queen. But that won't help you when it comes to the kingdom of God. So what happens when we are face-to-face with God? What happens then, and what counts? I uh, couldn't resist this cartoon in the light of um, GDPR. I couldn't find you on our database. Oh no, are you sure you opted in? So do we need to opt in to the kingdom of God? Do we need to opt in to the kingdom of God? What are we relying on? I know that when I finally stand before God, it won't do me any good 
to tell him about my church upbringing or my parents' faith or the line of lay preachers I have in my family or um, it won't do me any good to wear this badge or say that I preached or I came to church X number of times. None of that will be important. And I think that God may have questions for me like this. Do you know my son Jesus? Is he your Lord and Saviour? Have you lived your life for him? It's no good relying on someone else's faith at that point. So if God is speaking to you on that, there will be an opportunity for prayer at the end of this sermon. Uh, Do come forward. Make that faith your own. We're going to go back to Jacob. Now, you would have thought that such an encounter like this would have changed Jacob forever, but it doesn't. Jacob is a hard nut to crack. Even when he is reflecting on God's promises to him, he starts putting conditions around them. If you do this, Lord, if you keep me safe, if you bring me back home, then I will call you Lord and you can be my God. Oh, and if you give me lots of stuff, then I will very generously give a tenth of it back to you. Somehow, after that, it seems that life takes over and Jacob puts God on the back burner again. If you had interviewed Jacob at this time, I am sure he would have said that he still believes in that God of his fathers and yes, he intends to go back to Canaan someday and yes, all of those promises will surely happen someday. But at the moment, he is busy He is building his family. He is making his fortune. He is getting enough stuff together so that when he goes back, he can impress his family with how well he has succeeded. In this middle bit of his life, he lives in exile with his mother's family. And I'm not going to say too much about that because I think Kate is thinking, oh gosh, he's preaching my sermon for next week. Because next week, we're going to look at... um, Uh, Jacob and Leah and Rachel um, from a different perspective, I think, and Kate is going to uh, preach to us. So all of that happens in the middle part of his life. Um, There's lots of trickery going on with Laban as well, and it's all about spotty sheep, and I'm not going to tell you about that either, apart from saying that it's uh, about spotty sheep. So when we catch up with Jacob again, he is middle-aged, and again, you might identify with this part of Jacob's life, and successful, and he has decided to go home to his family in Canaan, which was a risky thing because, as we have heard, he left them years before in disgrace, and he may still have a brother who's holding a grudge against him and wants to kill him. And he also has made himself a bit unpopular with his uncle Laban and the relatives he's been living with. And he remembers that God has promised him all sorts of things in Canaan. So he decides to go home. And he packs up his wives, his two wives, his two concubines and his numerous children and his camels and his huge flocks of sheep. And he sets off. And he is afraid It's interesting that God seems to meet with Jacob when he is afraid. 
He doesn't know what he will be facing in his homeland. That is when God meets with him again. And this one is a very different encounter. And Chris is going to come and read this one as well. This is Genesis 32. Yes, Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford, the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you, Chris. This is an extraordinary story, and I don't think we really understand it at all. Um, I've been thinking about it for about a month now, and I still think I don't understand this. A man comes and wrestles with Jacob. Note that the initiative is with the stranger. Is it an angel? Jacob understands that it is God himself in some form. And this person, this stranger, this God, God grabs him. The grabber is grabbed. God grabs him and forces him to fight back and neither will give way. And Jacob asks for a blessing, and perhaps that is a recognition that God's blessing to him, given through his father, Isaac, was got by pretense and deceit. The stranger not only blesses him, but gives him a new identity, a new name, Israel, as a reminder of this struggle. He struggles with God. God struggles. He struggles with God, is what Israel means. But perhaps it should be more uh, technically, God struggles with us. The message calls it God wrestler. 
And this is the struggle that is going to make the real change for Jacob. As a result of this, Jacob is changed, not just because he's limping, but because he really has struggled and met with God. And God sorts out his immediate fears and worries. Instead of killing him, his estranged brother Esau runs forward and hugs him. Jacob is blessed in his new land, and the line of blessing and promise continues through him. And while not everything comes right in Jacob's family, there is a change. And by the end of his life, Jacob becomes a source of blessing to others. And interestingly, when you look at Hebrews 11, it's that older Jacob, the giver of blessings, who is commended for his faith. So that is Jacob. What about us? Now, I wonder which part of Jacob's story you identify with. Are you like that young Jacob, relying still on the faith of others? the God of my father, the God of my grandfather, the God of the people in this church, is he your God? Do you need a Bethel moment, an encounter with God, something just for you, a marker can in your life? I believe there are some like that here today, and God wants to meet with you. Or are you um, a middle-aged Jacob, a Jacob in exile in those wilderness years. You met with God a long, long time ago, but well, that was when times were hard and you needed him. Now times are better and you're concentrating on your family, your career, your house, your money, so you've put God on hold. You come to church, but that just keeps the Christian thing ticking over for you. And at some time, you really do plan to go back to God and spend some time with him and sort it all out with him, but not yet, because you're too busy. I believe there are some like that here today, and God wants to meet with you. Or do you perhaps identify with the, get the Jacob who is struggling with God perhaps in a place of crisis, perhaps in a place of fear, about to face the reckoning for something, struggling to trust God and to obey him, knowing that God has his hand on you, but struggling to get away. God wants to meet with you in the place of struggle as well. That's what I think God wanted to say today that there are people here who are like Jacob. There are people here who are struggling. There are people here who are putting God on hold. There are people here who are relying on their parents' faith or somebody else's faith. So let's come to a time of prayer. Would you like to come up? And let's just have a time of silence where we ask God if he wants to meet with us in a special way today.
Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us? Would you open our eyes to you? Would you open our ears to you? Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Would you like to stand?